You can now get two free audiobook downloads and a 30-day free trial at audible.pagosity.tv. Your choice from the world's largest selection of over 180,000 digital audiobooks and spoken word content for your iOS or Android device, Kindle, or MP3 player. Go to audible.pagosity.tv now. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of June 11th, 2017. The podcast that sells ham as building material. This is your host, Shane Killian, and returning this week is Travis Retriever. Welcome back, Travis. It's good to be working here again. First, a quick announcement. No podcast for the next two weeks because I'm going on vacation Next week, I'll be gone. I'll be back the Wednesday after that, which won't give me enough time to prepare the podcast. But I might do one live just to kind of informally just catch up on everything so we don't have 50 stories to cover when we come back. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. They seem to be piling up lately. I don't know what it is. Oh, my God. (laughs) I guess it's just one of those times. I mean, with a new president, I mean, just, well, yeah. I think I've already got enough stories for next week's podcast, but we're not doing it. Oh, so. God. But yeah, Nick, I hope you have a good time and a relaxing time at your vacation. Ah, uh, thank you. Okay, let's asseverate the news of the bogus. So if you remember last week, we lambasted net neutrality advocates for trying to censor comments on the other side, saying that the anti-net neutrality comments were, of course, fake. Now, you might recall that I said that Fake comments happen all the time, and I wouldn't be surprised if both sides had lots of fake comments. Well, guess what? Both sides have lots of fake comments. Oh my god. It's arguing that something like 20% of the pro-net neutrality comments are bogus. Their exact words, not ours. Yep. Initially, it was pro-organization Fight for the Future that urged an investigation of fake anti-comments, but now the National Legal and Policy Center, as you said, they're claiming 20% of the pro-comments are bogus. They did use that word. Yeah. (laughs) They claim to have analyzed 2.5 million comments and found that 100,000 pro-comments had email addresses that didn't match the person's name, as well as a lot of duplicate email addresses, all of which represent about 20% of the 465,322 pro-net neutrality comments. Can you imagine actually having a job like analyzing internet comments like that? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure a lot of it was automated. I mean, I'm sure, but still. It's just surreal thinking about it. According to NLPC President Peter Flaherty, quote, The full breadth of the fake comments at this point is not known, but based on an initial forensic analysis, we believe it is massive. The NLPC says it plans to turn its data over to a professional data forensics expert for an analysis. Over on the pro side, EFF senior staff technologist Jeremy Gilula said he cross-checked the NLPC's data with the EFF system and said that the fake comments did not come from them. Meanwhile, Fight for the Future campaign director Evan Greer called this, quote, a thinly veiled attempt to sow confusion and undermine the democratic process. But of course, when they did it, everything was A-OK and good and Lily White. It seems like folks like you are the only ones who are pointing out that the only reason this stuff is even a problem in the first place is because of government-granted monopolies to local telco companies in the form of franchise deals. Get rid of that, and and much of this stuff completely vanishes overnight. No extra government required. Well, and I mean, I wouldn't be 
all that opposed to like a compromise deal where you say, okay, if you're granted a local monopoly by the city or county or whatever, or if they've put other barriers in the way, you know, to stop people from running cable in the right of way or whatever, mm -hmm. in that situation, then you're considered a telco under Title II, but if you have competition, then you won't be. And that actually might encourage them to say, okay, let's open this up for competition because we don't want to get the screws put on us under Title II. Which is probably why, as the telcos are the ones most likely writing these laws, as they lobby... Well, yeah, because they're already Title II. Yeah. You know, what have they got to lose? I'm shocked, I tell you. Shocked. <laughs> I recently had my internet increase speed. Yeah, instead of less than one megabit per second... Uh, download. It's now cracking six megabits per second. Wow, you're almost up above DSL speeds. Yep. See, the whole point of these local cable monopolies was that, oh, well, we gotta make sure that people can get this out in rural areas. And surprise, <laughs> folks like me and senators get screwed the hardest. Again, supply and demand. I mean, this is basic economics. I shouldn't have to explain this. Well, it's like I'm out in the boonies, and for the longest time I just had DSL, maxing out at 4 megabits. Charter came out here... I don't know, probably five years ago, something like that. I'm not sure when. But they're like, okay, I can get 60 megabits now. And, I mean, it works. I mean, I'm fine with it. It's just that every now and then something goes wrong and they have to have a guy come out. And the last guy came out said, you know what? They really shouldn't have hooked you up. You're like something like 300 yards away from the other end of the cable where it hooks into the system. It's like they really shouldn't have strung it out that far, but they were like making this big ditch of... Going, let's go out and let's get all the rural areas and let's get all of that hit. And he said if it were today and they were making the decision whether to do it, they wouldn't have done it because I'm just too far from that switch box. God. Yeah, so. Oh, boy. But back to the story, I feel I have to reiterate, this is not about any kind of democratic process. It's not a vote. It's people filing public comments, and it's the arguments that are important, not how many people make them. Agreed. And even if it was... Last I checked, truth is not democratically determined. I mean, that's completely asinine. Well, I mean, when we have a referendum, this is not how we do it. We have voting places that we go to. We don't. They don't even have a CAPTCHA on this website to stop bots. No kidding. They don't have any kind of verification at all. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it sounds like both sides are at least being somewhat dirty, although it seems like the uh, pro side has been a lot more nefarious. Well, the pro side is being more one-sided about it, because they went out all indignant, see, all the people on the anti-side are just bots, and it's like, well, people on your side are doing the same thing. And of course, they're also lying about what will happen out of this. Like, yeah, because, you know, giving the uh, entire internet into the hands of the FCC, what could possibly go wrong? Well, like you said, the problem here is because we have our internet access being run as monopolies like the telcos, so how is the solution to make it even more like the telcos? Say, if you're tired of the promos in this podcast, well, the patrons got it early and with no ads or promos. Just go to patreon.bogosity.tv and donate at any level. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttletwins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. 
The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain, or regulations passed in the name of safety, and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. Now some bad news. Very bad news. This next story made my blood boil. An appellate court has upheld the life sentence of Silk Road founder Ross Ulbricht. Yeah. Now what's weird is they also attacked harsh sentences for drug crimes and even questioned the criminal prohibition of drug use and sales. Quote, it is very possible that, at some future point, we will come to regard these policies as tragic mistakes and adopt less punitive and more effective methods of reducing the incidents and costs of drug use. At this point in our history, however, the democratically elected representatives of the people have opted for a policy of prohibition backed by severe punishment. So on the one hand, it's nice that judges are starting to come out and say this. On the other hand, they know it's bad, they know it's wrong, but they still upheld this ridiculous life sentence, even after Judge Gerald Lynch last year said that it, quote, put an extraordinary thumb on the scale that shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. It's like you've said before, and like I'll say as well, and we'll continue to repeat until it sinks into people's heads. Judges are nothing but politicians in fancy black robes. This is just yet another case that proves that. And I mean, what have you got here? You've got two federal agents who admitted to corruption and illegal searches and theft of thousands of dollars of Bitcoin, but oh well, doesn't matter. I think it said hundreds of thousands of dollars of Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just to put that into perspective. Oh, and Bitcoin is like way up over 2,000 now, so we're talking, they got millions. Oh, last I checked, it was more like... It was just short of 3000 now. Yeah. Yeah, so they're basically multimillionaires at this point. Oh, yeah. And, of course, they get off scot-free. Well, I think they're spending, like, a year in jail. Oh, yes. A bargain slap on the wrist. One year in jail for tens of millions of dollars. Sign me up for that. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take that. Totally worth it. <laughs> All right, quote, Ulbricht still has not shown how the agent's corrupt behavior is exculpatory. The relevant question, on which none of Ulbricht's arguments casts any light or raises any doubt, is whether any particular item of evidence was tainted in some way by the misconduct of bridges or force. Nothing in the government's disclosures, and nothing that Ulbricht identifies in the record or has produced from any independent source, suggests that either bridges or force had such capacity. Capacity to what? Type things in a text editor? Because that's all they would have had to do. Indeed. Because that's what those logs are. They're text files. There's no verification. There's no digital signature. Oh, my God. I'm reading that and listening to that, and it's like, 
Am I listening to the script from a South Park episode? What the hell? <laughs> and, and you've got someone logging in as Dread Pirate Roberts when Ulbricht was in custody and couldn't possibly have done it, proving beyond any doubt that the prosecution story that Ulbricht was the one and only DPR is false, but the fact that the jury didn't get to hear that? Meh. Yeah. And guess what? They even based their decision on Ulbricht supposedly hiring assassins, something he wasn't even charged with. Quote, In light of the overwhelming evidence discussed below that Ulbricht was prepared, like other drug kingpins, to protect his profits by paying large sums of money to have individuals who threatened his enterprise murdered, it would be plainly wrong to conclude that he was sentenced for accidental deaths that the district court discussed only in passing and imposing sentence. And the accidental deaths in questions were the ones he was charged with, for people who died overdosing on drugs they supposedly got from Silk Road and absolutely couldn't have gotten from anywhere else. Because, you know, other black markets still are totally not a thing, am I right? Right, yeah. I thought, according to GovCo's own laws and precedents, that uh, the site owners are not liable for what users on there do. Well, they're really getting away from that, and we've covered that in several stories. It, it basically doesn't apply at all in copyright cases anymore, and we've got more to say about that later. Oh, God. Yeah, we'll get to that. Stay tuned, folks. But... Even after all that, they said they still wouldn't have sentenced him that harshly, but upheld it anyway. Quote, Courts have the power to condemn a young man to die in prison, and judges must exercise that power only in a small number of cases after the deepest thought and reflection. Although we might not have imposed the same sentence ourselves in the first instance, on the facts of this case, a life sentence was within the range of permissible decisions that the district court could have reached. Their justification, flimsy as it might be, to try and charge Russ, who, as far as I'm concerned, did nothing wrong, was to simply say, yes, but uh, it'll send a message. Oh, God. Which might present a compelling argument if it wasn't for the fact that... Um, they didn't! Yeah. <laughs> Silk Road and other stuff, it's booming as people heard news of this and went into it and became not just buyers, but also businessmen in it. Well, and that's not what the courts are for. They're to punish offenders, not to try and send a message to new people who might disobey the law sometime in the future. So basically the same thing that they've been doing with those massive copyright claims of over a million dollars for sharing, like, a few songs online. Oh, yeah. yeah. I wish these people would take their message, stick them in bottles, and throw them into the sea. Then we'd all be better off for it. I can think of at least two places where they could stick them that'd be even better, but I'm <laughs> not going to go there. This was a three-judge appellate panel, so it wasn't the full Second Circuit, so perhaps he'll have the right to appeal to the full circuit, and maybe even from there to the Supreme Court. Hopefully somewhere along the way is a panel of judges who aren't either hopeless law worshippers or even fully corrupt themselves the way Judge Forrest is. Yeah. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? 
A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government sensors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.bogosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. Frequent listeners might have noticed that we don't like bandwagoning on this show. We're actually a bit less likely to cover the things everyone else is talking about, especially when we feel we have nothing new to add like the recent terror attacks in London and Manchester. But there is an interesting bit of news because we're hearing, and I mean, I even hear this from YouTubers I respect like Baring and Sargon of Akkad. It's like, see, Muslims are all about this violence and it's a religion of violence and try to find Muslims actually acting against it. We even have a hashtag like, yes, all Muslims. Yeah. Well... 130 Muslim imams and community leaders have condemned the attacks and refused to give funerary prayers for the attackers. They said, quote, Consequently, and in light of other such ethical principles which are quintessential to Islam, we will not perform the traditional Islamic funeral prayer over the perpetrators, and we also urge fellow imams and religious authorities to withdraw such a privilege. This is because such indefensible actions are completely at odds with the lofty teachings of Islam. And the chairman of the East London Mosque and London Muslim Center, Mohammed Habibur Rahman, it'd be really great to have Ibrahim here to pronounce that for us, <laughs> said, quote, Once again, we come together to stand united against those who try to divide us. The cold-blooded murder of innocent people in London on Saturday evening will not succeed in driving us apart. I have a clear message to those who perpetuate terrorism. You are against the very core teaching of Islam and of our prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Your misguidance will lead you to destruction, and God willing, you will utterly fail in your evil aims. We stand apart from you and your corruption of the religion of Islam. Terrorism has no faith. So if you really want to know how significant this is to a Muslim, Ibrahim 90 said on the forum, quote, They refused to give the funeral service to their attackers? That is a very strong message. It would be like the Catholic Church refusing to give a man last rites or burying such a person on consecrated ground. They've as good as condemned the men to hell, or worse, to no afterlife whatsoever. Good. Now, I don't know how no afterlife is worse than hell, but whatever. Yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> just these things. That's the Muslim point of view, I guess, but, I mean, yeah, that's how strong it is. He's saying that... They're letting these guys burn. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, not all Muslims. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. 
That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your Internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now. And now it's time to circumambulate around this week's biggest bogan emitter. And this week we go back to anti-vaxxers as we give it to Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. Yes, she is an osteopathic doctor, but please don't judge real osteopathic doctors by her. When I first saw that this person was an osteopathic doctor, I thought, oh my god, something like naturopathy or something stupid like that, right? Uh, that's actually how it is in a lot of other countries like the UK. In the US, they've actually gotten really good. They've kind of merged together with uh, MDs, and like at my clinic, they've got MDs and DOs or ODs or whatever the suffix is. And I've seen a couple of the osteopaths, and I mean, they were fine. They were just like, you know, regular doctors, you know, going over, you know, the medicine I was taking and going over options, and I can't tell the difference. What's that? You're telling me that it's actually worse, vastly worse in countries with so-called universal health care where they actually pay for the bogosity? <laughs> I'm shocked, I tell you. Shocked. Yeah, I mean, if you got, I mean, if you want to get a job in a traditional medical clinic, especially one that, because this clinic is run by Carolina's Healthcare, you know, they really care about you know, the quality of doctors, they've got their reputation to think of, and so, you know, they're not going to hire quacks. Good. But yeah, also hereby proving that just because someone has the proper credentials does not mean they are infallible. Absolutely. Dr. Oz, anybody? Or Russell Blaylock, I think he's actually an MD. Oh my god. So, there's an article she posted from GreenMedInfo.com, and I think this is rapidly becoming a reliable indicator. If green is in the URL, it's probably a site you don't want to pay attention to. Or natural, like natural, for like natural news. Or natural, yeah. Instant red flag, no pun intended. Yeah. But it's called... Study calls into question primary justification for vaccines. Spoiler alert, no it doesn't. <laughs> the article says, quote, Newly published research has revealed that in some cases, no antibodies are required for immunity against some viruses. Although this concept may apply to other viral infections, our findings with VSV, that's vesicular stomatitis virus, turn this view upside down indicating that during a primary infection with this cytopathic virus, innate immunity can be sterilizing without adaptive immune contributions. Basically, they injected a bunch of mice with the VSV, and they didn't die, therefore vaccines don't work or something. Ah, uh, well, good to know. So one of the bloggers at Skeptics College named Adam decided to contact the study's author, Radical Idea. And I've done this myself before. It's actually amazing how many of them are happy to write back to you. So... Here's what the study's author, Ulrich H. von Andrian, M.D., said, quote, 
The online article you referenced below misrepresents our paper. Our work in no way calls into question the utility of vaccines, which in my personal view are among the most impactful and cost-effective accomplishments of modern medicine. Our study had examined the immune response to a viral infection of mice that were immunologically naive, i.e. they had never seen the virus before. The animals were able to survive the infection and clear the virus without requiring T or B cells. This per se is not a huge surprise. There are countless invertebrate species that don't have T or B cells and survive infections every day. Our observation merely suggests that at least in some settings, mammals can do the same. A key point is that although the mice in our study were able to deal with the infection, they did get infected, i.e. they got sick, so to speak. The purpose of vaccines is to prevent infections from occurring in the first place. Had we vaccinated our mice prior to using the virus, the infection would never have occurred even if we exposed the animals to a lethal dose of the pathogen. So let's take polio as an example. What the anti-vaxxers in the above article are essentially polling is saying, see, people, yeah, these people are permanently disfigured for life because they got polio, but they were still able to fight it off. Ergo, we don't need vaccines. Well, you know, some people survived polio fine. Some people survived smallpox fine. Some people survived the Black Death fine. And this might go some way towards explaining it, but that doesn't change the fact that the overwhelming number of people who get these infections die or have permanent debilitating disfigurements. I mean, measles and mumps, these are not harmless childhood ailments. My mother knew people when she was growing up who got measles and mumps and they got deaf for life. Some of them got crippled for life. Some of them got brain damage for life. Whenever I hear measles or mumps, I'm reminded of this episode on this old uh, show by Maurice Sendek called Little Bear, how Emily, a uh, little girl protagonist, ended up getting, I think it was either mumps or measles. I want to say mumps. And she it, had, was, it was mumps. I saw that one. That's horrible. Yeah. That is evil. That is outright evil. Basically, it portrayed her as essentially having a cold, but with bumps in her mouth. I mean, that was pretty much it. And I'm like, oh, okay, so harmless childhood disease. Yeah, it's not the bumps on your mouth that are a problem, it's the bumps on your brain! Yeah. So, Adam posted a comment to Dr. Tenpenny's Facebook link where he reposted verbatim what the study's author said, and what do you think happened? In less than 24 hours, the comment was deleted, and Adam was banned from Dr. Tenpenny's Facebook page. And how much do you want to bet that the people who saw it, but who are still firm believers in the BS... Uh, the person, a shell, or whatever. Oh, yeah. Hey, guys, we're still waiting for the shell box. <laughs> yeah, here's what Adam says, quote, More comical was that some people still defended the article as if they somehow knew better than the study's authors. Others accused me of making up the story and showing their inconsistent logic in the process. This is an example of confirmation bias in which an individual favors a source of information that agrees with their own belief and they discredit other sources that go against their belief. If a third party wanted to know the truth, it is possible to get the truth directly from the study's authors. This exercise serves to highlight the unreliability of the information peddled by Sherry Tenpenny. This is a prime example of why skepticism is so important. Without it, Claims are taken at face value, and beliefs are formed based on inaccurate information. Well, I guess beliefs are always based on inaccurate information to some degree, but I mean, at least you can be cognizant about that and be open to correction. 
Considering that there was nothing stopping folks like Depenny and her horde of followers from doing this themselves and asking the study's author, the refusal to do so at this point comes off as blatant belief in belief. Yep. And if they instead try to say, yeah, but, uh, but what if he's a paid shill? It's like, then why were you positing his studies were results in the first place as agreeing with you? And that's the thing about people like that. You Sherry Tenpenny, Joseph Merkula, Mike Adams, Russell Blaylock, they all exist in an echo chamber, and that's by design. They need to keep all of this extra information out. Yeah. So for well and truly enforcing the echo chamber, even from a response from the author of the study she was relying on, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny deservedly gets named this week's biggest bogan emitter. If you're going to shop online, use our special links to shop at Amazon. Clear your cookies and go to Amazon.Pagosity.tv, and you won't pay a penny more for your purchase. If you haven't used the mobile app in the last 12 months, or even at all, go to Get5.Pagosity.tv on your phone or tablet and get $5 off your order of $10 or more. Go to Prime.Pagosity.tv for a free 30-day trial of Amazon Prime and enjoy thousands of movies and TV episodes, borrow Kindle books, and get unlimited two-day shipping for free. And speaking of Kindle, go to Kindle.Pagosity.tv for a 30-day free trial to Kindle Unlimited, read over one million books, and listen to thousands of audiobooks on any device. You can go to music.pagosity.tv and get a free 30-day trial of Amazon Music Unlimited with access to Amazon's entire library of 10 million songs, ad-free and with unlimited skips, and even download to listen offline. All great ways to help this podcast simply by shopping at Amazon. And now let's put a lean on this week's and we have to give it to the EU again, this time for more stupid copyright law. MEP Pascal Aramont is trying to do an end run around the parliamentary process to get some pretty strict geo-blocking regulations added. Lovely. Ironically, this is done through the Internal Market and Consumer Protection Committee, which is supposed to protect consumers, but if this gets passed, it'll do the exact opposite. I'm shocked, I tell you. Shocked. Yeah, that's never happened before. <laughs> Basically, if you have a website that allows any kind of user feedback... You'll have the screws put on you, even if you're not located in Europe. They basically want the entire internet to be a giant safe space for big media cartels. But this somehow protects the little guy that they're putting the screws on because rimbly grimbly bim and timely wimbly wobbly stuff. Exactly. He wants to expand content filtering to anything that facilitates the availability of pirated content, which could be as simple as the ability to post a link. The Court of Justice of the European Union has already determined that simply linking to a place where infringing content can be obtained is itself considered copyright infringement. So, literally just linking to YouTube at this point, even an otherwise <laughs> harmless video that's been flagged by their automation system, which could be completely bogus, even if, the, as that has happened to people who have made completely original content, yeah. could basically end you up in court in Europe, because potato... Isn't the EU is striking us less like any government of we the people tm and more a goddamn organized crime mob the bit with they pulled with apple in ireland yep rings clear to that and now this 
The Court of Justice did rule, however, that monitoring the activities of users constitutes a violation of their fundamental rights. But Aramon is trying to do an end around that by redefining it as not being general monitoring, even though that's exactly what it is. So basically treating all people on the internet as would-be criminals. So much for due process and rule of law, am I right? And in fact, he also wants the EU to adopt, I kid you not, a link tax. This is a requirement that you pay in order to be able to link to a media publisher. Oh my and God. this is what we've seen before from news agencies whining that Google is profiting from their news, even though Google is the major driver of traffic to those news agencies. So basically, getting one dip is enough. They want a double dip. But, you know, it's totally not greed or entitlement or being a bunch of spoiled whiny brats when they do it. Well, and Spain tried it, and the result was that Google News just shut down in the entire country. Yeah, sounds like corporatism and the like is alive and well in the European Union and Europe, despite what the uh, EU, Europe, as well as the Eurotrash and other uh, jingoists of that particular bit will tell ya. And get this. He wants to define copyright infringement as anything more than a single word quoted from another website without permission. Wow. Basically, you wouldn't be able to listen to this podcast in Europe. Totally not draconian, you guys. Elsewhere in the EU, there's a proposal to tax image search engines. Quote, Information society services that automatically reproduce or refer to significant amounts of visual works of art for the purpose of indexing and referencing shall conclude licensing agreements with right holders in order to ensure the fair remuneration of visual artists. There's that word again. Fair. Yet another buzzword. And for remuneration, read Getting Money. Of course. I'm shocked because it's not greed when they do it. Yeah. Yes, all monopolies are bad. Unless they're ones done by the state. In this case, on IP. I mean, this isn't even about helping legacy industries battle copyright. It's about giving them power and money and control, which they're losing because they just can't adapt to the internet age. This is what copyright and IP is. It's pretty much what it's been since day one. Control censorship by the state and its cronies, and to hell with everyone else. That's what it's been since from the last, from the 500 years onward, that it's what it started as, and the policies and the results haven't changed a whit. Oh, the rhetoric has changed, sure, but the policies, no. And, I mean, it's not only the thing they keep trying to do with copyright, but with net neutrality as well, making it easy for big corporations to have a presence on the internet and not so much for the little guy. Yeah. But it does kind of make me glad that the UK kept Theresa May in power. Now, she is horrible on internet issues, but the mandate of this election, I think, was clearly to go through with Brexit, and it looks like the sooner they do that, the better. Yeah. What I don't get is the people screaming racist and people who support Brexit. Because they don't have an argument against them. Of course. Well, and these are the same people who without a shred of irony, will then turn about and say, Kelly exit! Uh, California shouldn't be a part of the union anymore. I'm like, not just what, but how many drugs are you on? The answer is obviously statism. Well, see, that's different because then they're going against Trump. So basically it's not racist when they want secession. Right. Or so all of that makes the European Union this week's... Well, that wraps up this Did You See That Ludicrous Display Last Night edition of the Bogosity Podcast. 
Come join the discussion at forum.bogosity.tv and feel free to send a question, statement, news article, or rant in text or audio to podcast at bogosity.tv. This podcast depends on you to keep going, so please donate using the links on the website or the QR codes in the thumbnail or become a patron at patreon.bogosity.tv and get the podcast and YouTube videos early and without ads or promos. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Travis Retriever for joining me. Thanks. It was a pleasure, as always. Until next time, here's a quote from Albert J. Nock. The judge said he disliked to sentence the lad. It seemed the wrong thing to do, but the law left him no option. I was struck by this. The judge then was doing something as an official that he would not dream of doing as a man, and he could do it without any sense of responsibility or discomfort, simply because he was acting as an official and not as a man. On this principle of action, it seemed to me that one could commit almost any kind of crime without getting into trouble with one's conscience. Clearly, a great crime had been committed against this boy, yet nobody who had a hand in it, the judge, the jury, the prosecutor, the complaining witness, the policemen and jailers, felt any responsibility about it, because they were acting not as men, but as officials. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, not commercial, no derivatives, for boy, no international license. Want answers to creationist claims against evolution? Would you like to know more about evolution yourself, or even engage creationists more directly, with actual peer-reviewed sources to back you up? My book, How Evolution is Scientific, is designed to show the basics of evolutionary theory and how it is so well supported using the scientific method. It's impeccably sourced, with references to the actual scientific material, and is arranged using the creationists' own criteria of what is scientific. Using their own arguments against them, see how evolution is scientific, but creationism is not. Based on observations, accurate predictions, logic, and evidence. Get answers to common creationist claims, and even a primer on abiogenesis, the start of all life. It's all in my book, How Evolution is Scientific, available at Amazon, and on Kindle, EPUB, and PDF as well. Get How Evolution is Scientific, and never be taken in by creationists again.